Amen. Thank you, Paezes, for being here. And they'll be out in the gathering space after worship service if you want to talk to them a, a little bit more. So we encourage you to do that. Um, sisters and brothers, I hope that you are doing well. It's a little chilly this morning. Amen. Um, well, last night, I just want you to know we had uh, a lot of people here, uh, a lot of couples who were here as a... Um, we had what was called a date night, and so Tim Gardner was in talking about marriages, and uh, I always love opportunities like that because I get to come and kind of, Meg and I get to talk about the things that she needs to work on, and it's really, um, it's a joke, um, um, but it really was a uh, kind of a rewarding time to be able to remember um, um, our loved ones and um, the mistakes that we sometimes make, but also to be able to just simply laugh at ourselves and uh, and our own struggles and the joys of, of marriage. So uh, it was a great time. So thank you to all those uh, who helped to put that uh, together last night. And this week we're going to be talking about Psalm 100. And so uh, let's listen to these words from the psalmist. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, and worship the Lord with gladness, and come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you on this Thanksgiving week. And I pray, God, that it would be a week where we set apart our time and our busyness in order to reflect on the many different ways in which we owe you praise and gratitude. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today through this psalm, that we might be drawn closer to you and closer to one another. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So originally when I uh, decided that we should do the 100th Psalm today, I did it because I thought, well, this is a great Psalm of gratitude and thanksgiving, and so it seems appropriate to do this just four days uh, before the holiday of Thanksgiving. And, and we will talk a little bit about gratitude, or quite a bit actually, but as I was looking over it this week, I also realized that there were a lot of different uh, topics in this very succinct psalm that were the same topics that we've been covering over the last 10 weeks as we've been doing our True North series. We talked about God one week and humanity the next. And if you want to kind of just sum up everything we said, basically what we said is that God is God and we are not, right? And that's a pretty important thing to remember. And in, and in verse 3 of this particular passage, it says, For the Lord is God, and he made us. Right? That's exactly what we were saying, is that God is God, and that we as humans are not God. And the more that we can understand that, even though we would all say it, the more we can actually live like that and really believe that, it makes a dramatic difference in how we live our lives. 
And when we talked about identity several weeks ago, we said that first and foremost, our primary identity is in the fact that we are children of God and that we are loved by God. And again, in this particular psalm there, towards the second part of verse 3, it tells us that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In other words, first and foremost, we are his, right? And before we get caught up in finding our meaning or our purpose in what we do, or, or that primarily we are, we are, we are um, I was going to say pastors, some of us are pastors, but primarily whatever your job is, whether you're a father or a husband or a wife or a daughter, before any of those things, no matter how well you do or don't do at school or at work, before any of those things, first and foremost, you are God's people. And we have to remember that. You are not what you do. You are who you have been made and created by God. And we talked about stewardship, of course, and and about the fact that everything that we have is a gift. And it's been pointed out that really this whole psalm is a praise for the reality that everything we have is a gift. Whenever you are praising God, what you are doing is you are saying, I have not done this myself. It is God who has done this for me. And we talked about the church during our True North series, and we said that the church, its primary call is to be a witness to who God is and to what God has done in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this psalm, of course, is a praise to who God is and to what God has done for us. And when we are a people who are worshiping in the way that the psalm tells us to, we are a people who are being witnesses to who God is and what God has done for us. And then last week, of course, we talked about eternity and the eternal and the fact that it's significant for us to always have an eternal perspective because in so doing, are we then able to live more freely and with purpose in the present? And this psalm tells us that God's steadfast love endures for how long? forever, his faithfulness for generations. Again, the psalm is saying, remember always that God's love and God's will will be done because his love is forever, right? And so as I was thinking about how odd it is that this succinct psalm seems to carry or cover so much of what we talked about over the last 10 weeks, I realized that perhaps it shouldn't be all that surprising because really, the scriptures are in so many ways that it really is pretty simple. There's really two or three main themes that they then just come to again and again and in different ways, right? It's kind of like what's been said about preachers, that all preachers have one sermon, really, and they just come up with a thousand different ways to say it, right? It's called making a living, right? This is what we do, right? And, and in some ways, that's exactly what the Scripture is. The Scripture is succinct and clear, but it tells us who God is, who we are, and what we are called to do, and lots of different ways from generation or from generation from Genesis into Revelation. And that's also, it seems to me, to be the case when it comes to one of the major themes of Scripture, which is gratitude, thankfulness, giving God praise. 
As you look through Scripture again and again, it calls us to be a people of thanksgiving, to be a people of gratitude. Just several that I I noted kind of quickly. 1 Thessalonians says, give thanks in all circumstances. Ephesians 5, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. 2 Corinthians 5, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 1 Chronicles, and now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Isaiah says, I will say to you in that day, give thanks to the Lord. And then, of course, there are a litany of psalms that give praise and thanksgiving. In fact, there are a whole set of psalms that simply are called the thanksgiving psalms. And the 100th psalm is one of those. Again and again, the scriptures say, be a people of thankfulness, a people of gratitude. So why is this so important in scripture? Was I was kind of wrestling with that question, one of the things I realized was that it's not just the Bible that is always teaching us about gratitude. Actually, I am teaching all the time about being thankful. But not to you all, but to my children. Megan is always teaching our children how to be thankful. The vast majority of parents are always trying to teach our children how to be thankful. I can't tell you. There's no way I could count how many times I have given something to one of our children and said, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say again and again and again? This is the truth. One of our children's first words is always, thank you. Because they're always forgetting, right? And so even our 21-month-old now, she doesn't know how to say too much, but she does know how to say, which we hope is thank you. It could be something else, but that's how we are interpreting it, right? Because they're always forgetting, so we keep drilling it into them, right? And, and, and that we even have a thank you stare now, right? We don't even have to say it as much anymore. We just put it down. If we don't hear anything, we give them the thank you stare, right? It's just, and then they say it, right? We can be in any situation, even if that's not supposed to be what they say, but when we start staring at them for any reason, they just say thank you, right? And, and hopes, right? But what is significant to realize and to remember as parents is the fact That the reason why we keep trying to train them to say thank you is not simply so that they will be polite. It is because we believe that in so doing, we will not simply change what they say, we will change who they are and who they are becoming. We are not just trying to get them to say the right things, we are trying to get them to become the right kind of people. The kind of children who grow up into adults who don't believe that everything is owed to them. The kind of children who believe that they are actually dependent upon others, who are dependent upon their parents in some way, who are dependent upon their friends and their siblings, who are dependent upon the church, and who are dependent, first and foremost, on God. What we are really trying to do, whether we say it or not, is not just shape the words they use. We are trying to shape who they are. 
And in many ways, it seems to me, this is exactly what the scriptures are trying to do. The scriptures are not continually telling us to be thankful, to give thanks, to give praise, so that we will give the obligatory thank you to God. Right? This is not something where we just need to say thank you for our job or our family or our breath. Um, um, simply so that God will say okay. Right? This is not something where God just kind of stands there and kind of gives you the thank you stare until you say thank you and then everything is okay. No, no, no. No, this is actually there in order to shape us. Right? In fact, it's said that, that, that what giving thanks does is it reorients us. It totally reshapes us into a different kind of people. Walter Brueggemann says that when you find someone who is not full of thankfulness, who is not a person of gratitude, inevitably you have found someone who is bent in upon him or herself. Someone who thinks that I have done all of this, that I don't need anything or anyone. In contrast to that, a people of gratitude are a people who realize just how Everything genuinely is a gift. It changes not just simply what you say. It changes who we are. I was thinking about that when it comes to this particular congregation. Every once in a while, I get together with a group of pastors. And, and inevitably, you know, when you're in these conversations, it always goes back to, well, what's life like in your church? How are things going in your church? And every, every church has similarities, but they also have dramatic differences, right? Every culture of every church is, is different. And so oftentimes, one of the questions that they will ask me is, what is it like to be a pastor in an area that has a little bit more wealth than other parts? of America. And the truth be told is that churches that, that are in wealthier areas are sometimes notorious for being very difficult places to be pastors, right? There's lots of reasons for that. I won't go into it right now, but there's a, a plethora of reasons for that. And so as, as we have these conversations, here is what I say to them. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. Here's what I typically say. First of all, of course, not everyone in this church has wealth, and they should know that, right? I mean, we have, we have people who have wealth. We have a lot of people who don't as well, right? So we are not completely homogeneous to be sure. But what I also then go on and say, you know what, it's actually been remarkably great. And as I've thought about why that is, why do I, why do I love working with you all? It's because even though there are so many here, or there are many who may have wealth, by and large, as I've kind of known more about them, gotten to know them better, so many of them didn't grow up like that. They actually grew up oftentimes out in kind of more rural areas, right? And so what I hear with some regularity is that what they have now, they're incredibly thankful for, right? That, that they give praise to God for what they have. That doesn't mean that we're perfect by any stretch, but they're very thankful for what they have. And that shapes them in a different way. What I then go on to say don't take offense to this, is that I don't know what it will be like when their children get older and pastoring them. And the reason I say that, and I say it about my own children as well, is because it's a whole different ballgame to try to shape your children into being a people of thankfulness whenever they already have so much that is around them or in their homes. 
right? It shapes them differently. And Megan and I, this is something that we talk about with some regularity. How do we help our kids when there's so much around here that they have, their wants and their needs? How do we shape our children so that, so that they will be thankful? And I know that there are many of you who have that question. You've either wrestled with it when your children were growing up or you're wrestling with it now. And I know it because you come up and you talk to me about it because you're, you're wrestling with it. And it can be a struggle, and it can be a struggle for us to not forget how much we have to be thankful for. And in the midst of that, one of the things that I'm always deeply appreciative, A, is the fact that we're not alone, right? And that there are others in the community who are wrestling with these same kinds of questions. And then B, is to always remember that this is not a 21st century American problem. This is a long-time struggle. A couple years ago, I, I, I preached on a text that I love in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8. And this is happening right before the people are going into the promised land, right before they go into the promised land, right before they move into north or northwest Indianapolis. And God says this to them. God says, take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinance, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today when you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself. Forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. In other words, for thousands of years, when people have started accumulating stuff, they have been tempted to forget God. For thousands and thousands of years, if people have built fine houses, they have been tempted to begin to think that this is something that they have done. For thousands and thousands of years, as people's gold or silver has multiplied, they have been tempted to forget to be thankful we are not alone in this, those of us who struggle with it. And my guess is it's most of us. It's certainly me. We are not alone. And what it's going to take, what it takes is vigilance. This is not something where if we and we want our children to be shaped by gratitude and by thankfulness and a sense of dependence on God, that does not simply happen by coming in here uh, on one day and listening to one sermon or having one Thanksgiving and all of a sudden you are shaped into a different person. It takes much more than that. It takes practicing. This is something that we talk about a lot. We probably don't have time, but I'm going to tell you this little part here anyways. And if we run a little late, I'm sorry. Um, Soren Kierkegaard is a Danish theologian and philosopher, right, from the 19th century. And 
whenever, at least you see the pictures of him, he's very stoic. But he tells this great parable of ducks, right? Which is kind of weird for a stoic philosopher. He tells a parable of ducks, and he says, there are a land of ducks. And, uh, and they would, um, you know, it was just nothing but ducks, and they just waddled around. This is what they did. And, and every Sunday morning, they would waddle into church, right? And they would go in church, and the preacher would stand up, and the preacher would say... You have wings. God has given you wings. Wings so that you can soar like an eagle. Wings so that you can fly. No fences, no walls can ever keep you in, can ever restrict you. You have been given these glorious wings. And the people all say, amen. And then they waddled home. And that's the way it is, it seems to me, with gratitude. That we can come in here and we can simply say, okay, we come in here today. Yeah, you know what? We should be a thankful people. But if you leave and there's no sense of what you're actually going to practice for that to happen, it will not shape you. It will make you feel good for a moment, but it will not shape you. So what do we need to do? One of the things, of course, is simply what the 100th Psalm says, which is that we need to come into worship with a sense of wanting to give praise, with a sense of wanting to celebrate, with a sense of speaking, not just thinking, but speaking and singing our praise to God. Right? Most, it seems, it seems it's very easy oftentimes to just come into worship to say, I wonder what God's going to say to me today, and I wonder how God's going to speak to me. And I think it's great if you hear God here. That's exactly a part of the reason why we're here. But we also come, it seems to me, at least equally as uh, as much, to in order to give praise, in order to say, I hope that as I come in here today that God hears what I am going to say because I want God to know how thankful I am for what he has done for me. How might that change a bit our worship? How might that shape us a bit differently if we come in here saying, we're coming in simply so that we can thank you, God, for what you have done for us. But it's not just vocalizing our gratitude in a community like this. It's also vocalizing it in your own families or with your friends or even if you're simply by yourself writing it down. I've said before that one of the practices that the Deck family has is that we we do what's called the joy journal, right? We don't do this every time we eat, um, but we do it with some regularity when we eat, and we have this joy journal, and everyone goes around, right, and says, you know, what are you, we all say, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And Megan, you know, writes it down, and you know, we, we've kind of, we've spiced it up a little bit because we got a little dull. And so, you know, now before everybody says something, you know, and say, what are you thankful for, Winnie? Everyone does a drum roll. Right? So there we are. And then whatever it is that they say, we, we take our glasses, right, and we hold it up, right? Always, of course, it's when it's like butterflies or something. Like, to butterflies! And everyone does that. And even Lisa, the 21-month-old, right? Even she takes her little cups like, bah, right? And, and she has no idea what's happening. Quite frankly, in our family, we rarely know what's happening. <laughs> but what we do know is that we are taking that time, carving that time, in order to try to remember that we have things for which we are thankful in hopes of shaping not just our children, in all honesty, but shaping us as parents. Right? The truth is, there are some days when you get to the end of it, and it takes me a little while to think about what I am thankful for. So we can do that. We, we, we speak the words, it seems to me, of thanks together. 
Not only that, of course, there's also a sense of fasting, right? This is something that we've mentioned before, that fasting is very helpful when it comes to shaping us into a people of gratitude. That can be fasting from work. That's what we call the Sabbath, right? Sometimes we're so busy with everything that we don't take time to stop. When you force yourself to stop working for a while, for a span of time, it allows you then to kind of remember, wait a second, you know, rather than just kind of consuming everything, let me give thanks to it, right? Or for food, right? In a place like, in an area like ours where, where food seems to be ubiquitous in America oftentimes, right? We can, we can always, we can just eat and drink and not remember the fact that it has come from someplace. And so just fasting, even just once a month for a meal or two, is a reminder, wait a second, somebody, a farmer, made this for me. A farmer cultivated this. And then we begin to think, oh wait, I'm sorry, also God helped Help that farmer, right? God's the one who brings the sun or the rain, right? And so that every time you have a hunger pang, you are reminded of the fact that God has given you everything that you have. And then, you know, somewhat connected to that, of course, is, 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 is sacrifice. I, I think in order to be shaped into a people of gratitude, it requires some sacrifice, something that is somewhat costly. When we talked about stewardship, we said that if you aren't sacrificing, us as a church first and foremost, if we aren't sacrificing, and then even as individuals, if you're not sacrificing, the chances are you are not really as focused on the mission or on God as you are on just kind of preserving your church or yourself, right? The importance of kind of sacrifice, the importance of, of things actually costing us a little bit, right? We believe this when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the giving of our, of our money or the giving of our talent, the giving of our treasure. If we are simply giving out of our abundance, it will make us feel good again, but it will not shape us into a different people, right? Going out for a very slow, I, let's say for me, going out for a very slow quarter mile walk, it may make me feel good, but it actually doesn't trim me up very much at all, right? It takes actually pain. It takes some sacrifice for that to happen. I wish it were not so, but it does. And then even thinking about our children, right? Thinking about in this Thanksgiving and this Christmas season, what does it mean for us to teach our children? I think that they need to sacrifice something as well. Right? I love, I've seen parents who have done this, who have, for, for, you know, for Christmas, they've, they've kind of, um, um, they've given to World Vision or Compassion International. They've invited their children to be a part of that. I think that's wonderful. Let me suggest maybe also taking it one extra step, which would be to do something like, and I know that people are going to say this is cruel, but, Life is cruel sometimes. I would say, if your child gets 10 gifts, what about asking that child to give one of those gifts away? Because the reality is, if you only have, here's your 10 gifts, and here's a gift over here, but it's never going to actually be yours. We're giving it in your name. That will shape them a little bit, but not as much as actually sacrificing. Now, you don't have to give away, you're not giving away their favorite teddy bear or their blanket. That would be cruel, right? But what you are doing is saying, if grandma gave you $10, I want you to give one of those dollars to, to give it away to somebody. You are asking them to sacrifice something. And in so doing, I believe you are shaping them into realizing, okay, so not everything is mine. But that actually this is God, but I get to keep some of this, but I also get to invest in what God wants to do. I get to make another child happy. I need to give another, I, I get to give another child some, some, uh, some water or something to eat, right? It shapes them in some way. 
It takes intentionality. We cannot hope to become a people shaped by gratitude. It takes practice. And so this morning, as we were kind of thinking about how do we, how do, we do that this morning, one of the ideas we had as a worship team is, is, is we would like to, because the 100th Psalm, there's, there's so much action in it, I don't want you just kind of thinking about it and going home. And so what we decided, what we want you to do is, is, is hopefully you have a piece of paper that was in your bulletin. And, and so what we want you to do is I want you to think for a couple of minutes here in just a moment, think of something for which you want to give thanks. Don't, don't just do it kind of flippantly, oh, thank you for, you know, for the sunshine or thank you for food. No, I want you to really think about it. What, what might it be? Maybe, maybe it's your relationship with, with Jesus and this, this sense of peace that you've gotten. Maybe you've grown, grown increasingly close to Jesus in this past year. Maybe, maybe it's for your health. Maybe you've had a health scare in the past and, 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 and now things are going well and you want to give thanks for that. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a restored relationship. <clears throat> maybe it's someone in your extended family. I think Bob was kind of alluding to this earlier without out and out saying it, which is that I've talked to quite a few people in this last week who are scared about getting together with their extended family over Thanksgiving because not everybody is politically aligned, right? You know, they're wrong in your view, right? And you know that when you get together with Uncle Harry or with your sister or your brother or your mom or your dad, you know that if the subject comes up, drumsticks are going to be flying, right? So what I want to encourage you to do is not just maybe, maybe not just write down that person's name, but write down something that you love and care for and are appreciative about that person. For the way that he or she may be stuck with you in a difficult time in the past. For the, for the way that that person has always loved you no matter what. Whatever it may be, be specific. And as you do so, I want you to write this down. And I want you to, I want to warn you. I don't know if I should do this. Or I'm going to do it. I want to read through them. Don't put your name down. Or you can. But I really want to read through them. Why? Because it is an absolute boon to my faith to be able to see what people are thankful for. Right? And as you're doing that here, you have a couple minutes just to kind of write something down. And after that time, and I'll come up and share it, you're going you're gonna to come down and you're going to put it in a basket, right? And at the same time, if you have your commitment card, um, I'm, I'm going to ask you to kind of to, to bring that down as well. If you don't have one, if you're a visitor, don't worry about it. If you forgot it, it's fine. Um, but if you do have your commitment card, you can come down at the same time and you can drop that off. And if you need a commitment card, you can just raise your hand and an usher will get that. So let's just take a couple minutes, but think about it seriously and, and write down something for which you want to give God thanks right now. 